0: Psalm 85. I hope that you've been taking some time, maybe not every day, maybe not twice a day, but as we've been going through this psalm, we've just been asking the people of our church uh, to set a reminder on your phone to pray, whether it be on, in the morning at 8.50 or in the evening at 8.50, and just pray uh, for revival, for the glory of God in our own lives, situations that uh, other people's lives, perhaps that we see. And we've kind of been talking through that over uh, the last several weeks. I know you might not get to that every night or every morning, but um, it's not about the perfection of it, I think, as much as it is about uh, you know taking some time as the Holy Spirit leads uh, to do that. And so I want to encourage you to continue to do that as we kind of finish up the month of May here, a couple more Sundays as we look uh, at this subject. But let's just do that real quick. Let's read Psalm 85, and then we're just going to look at one verse this morning uh, out of this passage. The Bible says, this is a psalm of the sons of Korah. It says, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sins, Selah. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast churned thyself from thy fierceness of thine anger. And we saw that uh, this is kind of their praise of the past. Their confidence in the character of God. This is who God is. This is how He works. This is what He's done. This is the stories we've heard of Him. This is our own experience of Him. And even in the moment of desperation, it may not seem like that, or that God's gone somewhere. He's gone on a trip, or He's took a vacation, or He's turned off the intercom, and He can't hear what's going on. But as they cry out for revival, as they're not satisfied with the status quo, Uh, They call on the character of God. They praise God for his past, knowing and having confidence that the character he had uh, last year, a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, is the same character that he has today. Then in verse 4, we see that prayer for the present as the the sons of Korah sing out and call the nation of Israel to sing with them. Turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger unto all generations? Wilt not thou revive us again? And to all those questions, the answer is a very much implied yes. God, God will revive you again. And no, he's not going to pull hold of his anger forever. That's not who our God is. In fact, he's the opposite. The Bible phrases it this way: God's slow to anger. Okay, sometimes we get the misconception that the God of the Old Testament is just some angry God who's always offing nations as they've offended him. But God has every right to do whatever he wants. But what we'll see if we truly read the subject of anger in the Old Testament is God's a lot less angry than we might think him to be. He's slow to anger. He's merciful. He's gracious. His character that, was, that we see in the New Testament is the same God, same character that he has uh, in the Old Testament. And God is ready and willing uh, to say, they pray, turn us. Don't keep your anger on us. What was that anger exactly? So much of the anger that they experienced of God was him going, fine, if that's what you want, go ahead, take it. Hey, if you want to eat the crayon, go ahead, eat it. And they figured out, man, this is miserable. Man, we don't like this. God, turn us back to You. God, take us away from Your anger. You gave us exactly what we wanted and we hate it. Because it's not You and it doesn't satisfy. In verse 7, show us mercy, O Lord, and grant us salvation. I will hear what the Lord will speak, for He will speak peace unto His people and to his saints, but let them not turn again to folly. And that's what we looked at last week. This week we're going to just consider verse 9 where it says, Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in the land. That's where we got the phrase or the, the, the theme title for this series, That Glory May Dwell in the Land. This psalm is a psalm uh, that is for those who are not satisfied with the status quo. We look at a relationship minus the glory of God, and we say, man, something's got to change. Something is needed there. We see a family situation over there down the street, and think, oh, how painful that is. How hurtful that is. How horrible that is. Something has got to change. And sometimes we look at our country, and people uh, get up, and our... Uh, in, in politics and say what we need is more money what we need is more education what we need is someone to fix the situation we need another you know effort on this thing or another initiative but the reality is what will really fix those situations is not more finances thrown into the mix it really is the glory of God it's his manifest presence it's his public display of his holiness What really will fix that situation? What really will fix that marriage? What really will fix your parent? What really will fix your child? What really will will fix that thing going on at work is when the glory of God shows up. You know, it's true even for our church. Sometimes we're tempted to rely on the arm of the flesh, to trust in chariots and horses. But what the Bible calls us to and what the sons of Korah are calling us to uh, is to trust in the name of the Lord. That we're praying and seeking Him. And here we have uh, this promise of presence. is what we're going to look at today in verse 9 where it says, Surely His salvation is nigh them that fear Him, that glory may dwell in our land. Now we have a baptism today. And we're going to fit all that in the regular time. So I've, I'm, I see the clock. It usually means nothing to me. Today it means something. And so uh, we have next week to wrap this up if we don't get there. But I just want you to see this this morning. The promise of presence. The promise of presence. Here's the verse says. Surely His salvation is nigh them that fear Him, that glory may dwell in the land. There's a promise here from God for His presence to be. I know, sometimes it feels like God is distant. Sometimes it feels like God is far away. Sometimes it feels like we pray and God doesn't hear. And, and, and that's, that's not a fun place to be necessarily. But that is part of life. That is part of living on this broken globe. That is part of spinning around being the third rock from the sun where we go through moments in life where we're like, where is God? Man, this is hard. This is difficult. I don't like this. This doesn't bring glory to His name. People are doing that which is right in their own eyes. Everybody's going and doing their own thing. I'm not satisfied with the status quo. Everybody seems to be okay with this. But I want to join the sons of Korah and, and pray for revival. Pray for for renewal, God, save us from ourselves, turn us from our sin and from our idolatry. I'm so thankful we have a God that says, Surely, surely, his salvation is nigh them. The promise of presence. I want you to see the certainty of the presence or the glory of God. It says, Surely his salvation is nigh them. It's near to them. It's right there. This is a this is a promise that we can take to the bank, just like any other promise. In the Bible, the Bible tells us that surely His salvation is near. Sometimes when we're not rooted in grace, we kind of think that God's salvation is like 17 good things away. Or man, I've got to go to church eight Sundays in a row before I can get uh, God to fix my problem. But no, the reality is that God's salvation is near. It's nigh. It's one step away. It's one decision away. It's one turn of repentance of going, hey, I don't want that. God turn me. And when I do, here's the amazing thing about grace is the salvation is near. It's nigh. God's not going, no, one more, no, a little more, a little more. He's not trying to make us prove our faithfulness because uh, we don't have any anyways. That's why Jesus died on the cross and gave us his faithfulness. There's a certainty this salvation. The answer is right in front of our nose. God is always nearby. The perception might be that he's Far away, and from our perspective and feelings, it can be sensed uh, to be that way, but rescue is real close. There's a certainty, there's a certainty of salvation. It's nigh. But I also want you to see, secondly, there's a criteria for presence. There's a criteria for presence, and it's this salvation is nigh them that, what's the Bible say? Fear Him that fear Him. You know, we could define the fear of God as the acute awareness, keenly aware, the reality of God in my life that motivates me to honor, obey, love, and respect Him. I'm acutely aware that my mom and dad are here today. They hate... My mom went, "Mm." she didn't want me to point them out. They're here. My girls are getting baptized at the end of the service, uh, and they're here, I'm I'm aware of that. I've already said three words, and my dad's going to get on to me after the service. I'm just very keenly aware, not really. I'm aware of that. And you know, honestly, their presence here today, it motivates me in in a way to, maybe maybe I might say things a little different. I won't use any cuss words, I'm just kidding. You know, I might say a little different because they're they're here today, or I might behave a little differently when we go to lunch this afternoon. I might not, you know, spit paper or anything like that. And I'll, I'll behave myself because I'm acutely aware of their presence. You know, here's the certainty of God's presence in your life. It's, it, it hinges on the criteria, the criteria of you fearing Him, being aware that He's here. He's there, whether you are aware of it or not. But His presence into your life, His glory in your life, His manifest present uh, into your the day-to-day things and that relationship and that situation and that need for wisdom and that step of faith, uh, it hinges on our acknowledgement of Him. It hinges on our faith response to saying God is real. Uh, He is. And He's the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. There is a criteria for having God's presence in our life and experiencing it, it being real and tangible, it is that we would in fact fear Him. A faith response to the reality of the Father. Seek and you will find. Want the truth and you will find it. If you if you search for all your life, sometimes we go, I can't find God anywhere. I can't seem to know where He's at. I can't seem to know what's going on. And Sometimes we're like it's like a, a bank robber looking for a policeman. I just can't find a policeman anywhere. Well, it's because they're not really looking. And the truth is, uh, in, in a lot of the people in Israel and as the Sons of Korah calling them to repentance and revival. They're saying, "Hey, uh, God's glory can be here. His presence can be here. His reality. There can be revival in the land." And what they're calling people to is to realize that God is is reality, that He is there and wanting that and inviting that and looking for that and seeking after that. Look, God's not in the business of helping His competition. We got other idols, other gods in your life. God only goes where God is the only God. He's not playing second fiddle to the idols of this world. He's not helping out or placating or, or kind of pampering your need for something other than Him. His presence is promised. But the criteria is that we would, in fact, fear Him. Thirdly, I want you to see the cause of presence. Why? Why is God's presence so important to Him? Why is God's presence so important to us why is it so necessary couldn't we just get along with the status quo couldn't we just aren't we fine the way that it is I mean this is just kind of good enough and we've seen some things and we've experienced some things and this isn't that bad and we could look down the street and find something worse or find something that's not as as good so why the fuss why why the prayer why the uh the the dissatisfaction why the stirring why the call to revival well it is this little phrase here in verse 9, it says, that glory may dwell in the land. When I look around in Israel, I see people doing their own thing. I see people attempting to be satisfied in so many other things except for the God of the Bible. And the hard part about that is that it doesn't really work for them. It doesn't really satisfy them. They think it does, and the, the devil works overtime to deceive people. Oh, this is what you want. This is what you need. This is what's good. Oh, man, this is great. and It does for a little time. It, the pleasure of sin lasts uh, for a season, but then uh, it calls us out uh, to pay for uh, the sin and to take on the consequences, and we realize that it comes up lacking. God's desire is that glory would dwell in the land. God is for His glory. His manifest presence. God wants to be seen, felt, known, and heard in your home. God wants to be seen, felt, heard, known in your workplace. God wants to be seen, felt, heard, known at the gym. God wants to be seen in your private life. He wants to be heard in your private life. He wants to be seen, known, experienced, felt, and heard as we gather as a church uh, around His Word. God is for His glory because uh, ultimately, uh, one of the reasons I would say this is because it's for our good. We were created to bring glory to His name. We were created as the image bearers of God to display His glory. As a king of ancient times would conquer lands and set up statues of Himself. So that his new subjects could look on and go, that's our guy. That's the guy we worship. That's the guy we follow. That's the guy we listen to. That's the guy who's in charge. So human beings were created to be those image bearers of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe. It is better for humans that glory dwell in the land. Would it be better for humans to be in the dark about what's right and wrong? Man, it doesn't take too many scrolls up and down TikTok or Facebook stories to see that people got issues, to see that our country no longer really has a a viable grasp on what's right and what's wrong. Or they, they think they do, but it's just arbitrarily made up to their group of friends and what they think. There's no morals, no moorings for life anymore, no bearings that we can grab a hold of and say this is truth, this is right, this is God. Is it, is it good? Is it right? Uh, is it helpful that mankind dwells in this kind of darkness? To never experience love or friendship or kindness or mercy or help or goodness or joy or forgiveness or restoration or hope? And I think the answer to that question is no. One of the reasons that God would desire us and promise his presence for those who would fear him is so that his glory could dwell in the land now how exactly is that supposed to happen it's almost you know it'd be a good idea if God had like these little statues that he could place around the world that would give off this five star review that God satisfies that God's amazing it wouldn't be helpful if he just had some gold statues or some fancy sculpture that we could just walk oh, there's one, there's one. no, no, here's, here's what Paul said. He said, "We have that glory in this earthen vessel. He did do that. He, and, and, he, and his design was that there'd be human beings who restored and renewed by, this, by the, the, the shed blood of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross to give them a new heart and a new desire to walk around this earth, displaying that glory. Now the heavens declare the glory of God. But ultimately, and I think more importantly, he's given this opportunity for us to co-labor with him in bringing glory to the land. Surely, salvation is nigh them. Who? Oh, the ones that fear him. Why? So that they can display the glory of God in the land. So they can see God at work. And I think back on your week. Have you seen God at work in your life this week? Has God displayed His glory? Praise the Lord for that. Through creation, through truths about the cross, through the lives of other Christians, no doubt. Even in our conscience declares the reality of God. But you know one of the greatest experiences of Christians is how as we labor with God to display His glory for others to see. We were created for that. Does your existence proclaim God's glory? God, would you work? God, would you move? God, would I see it more? God, would you then use me so that there's some glory that dwells in that part of the land, in that part of the land, in that part of the land? That glory may dwell in the land. What does our existence proclaim? what does your existence promote if i got my math right god's going to give you 7 days this week hopefully we all make it to the end you never know you'll promote something this week your life and your words and your thoughts and your actions and where you throw down your money or how you throw down your money and how you throw down your time and what you do it's going to proclaim to people that are looking on your children your spouse your coworkers your family people don't even know you it's going to tell them something about who your god is glory can dwell in the land even when you're at the McDonald's catch register and you're eight people back. There's a lot of darkness there. There's a lot of anger there. A lot of frustration there. But you could be a spot of glory in that place. That's why Paul tells the church at Corinth, whether you therefore eat or drink, I don't think he was thinking about McDonald's, I understand, but just generally, or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God that people looking on would say, man, his God satisfies. His God's incredible. His God has transformed his life. His God is something, is someone that I would want to know. Here's the simple thing that I want us to take away this morning. If you're visiting today, you're welcome to be a part of this, Uh, but I want for our church, I'm going to give you a little homework. Now that school is out or almost out, you need something to do uh, this summer. I'm going to give you a your first summer school assignment here. Um, I want you to do this, and I'd love for you to put it somewhere, write it down, bring it back next week as we gather. I think that'll be helpful for us to consider. But I want you to look for five instances, five instances of recognizing God's glory and creation. Man, this morning I got up and I looked out the back window and just the few trees that are a ways down from our house I could see it through the trees. It's just this big, bright orange sun, and no clouds. I just, I just, I went downstairs, went outside in the backyard, and I just, had to, I just got to stand there until it kind of, kind of came up over the top of the trees, and just to watch. It. You know, I hope that it dawns on you that that sun is from God. That it was created by God, sustained by God. Perhaps this week you would take the time to purposely, intentionally recognize at least five times where we see the glory of God in creation. There's God's presence, public on display, His transcendence above all else. The second thing is I want you to look for five instances of God revealing His glory to you personally. It may be as you read your Bible this week, and the Holy Spirit just says, see that? Here's this truth for that thing you're going through. You know, it's just that like that God moment, if you will. Of when it's like, man, this is so from the Lord. Or maybe someone comes into your life and gives you an opportunity to serve, or maybe they serve you, or someone just comes along as an encouragement, a blessing, and the Holy Spirit simply just kind of whispers into your mind and says, that's from me. I love you. I'm here. I forgive you. Here's some hope. Here's some help. Here's some peace. Here's some mercy. And we experience God in His reality revealing Himself to us personally. Man, I would love to hear about that next Sunday. It would be okay with me if next Sunday we came in here and I didn't say a word and everybody just had things to say, God did this this week, God did this this week, God did that this week. That would not hurt my feelings in the least. Thirdly, there are 15 things, alright? So I hope you're writing this down. I hope you remember because I'm not, I'm not helping you study for the test. Uh, number, number three, five instances where God's glory would make a difference. Look, this week as you go through your life, I want you to notice in the land that you live in, loneliness, depression, hunger, darkness, hurt, pain, injustice, falsehoods, mistreatments, and the, the, the list could go on and on. I think you get the idea. And just consider for a moment, what would fix that situation? Is ultimately the glory of God. Now how would God show up? It may be that God would say to my spirit, hey, take the $5 out of your pocket and go give it to the guy so he can buy lunch. Like if Jesus was in charge and Jesus was in the car with you, He might, he might decide, hey, we're going we're to help that guy. Or if Jesus was in your office Something was going on under the table. It was problem. you know, How would Jesus light up that room? And understand what I mean by light up in the, in the positive sense, not the you know, negative sense of that. You don't have to do anything about it this week unless you want to. Unless the Holy Spirit tells you to. You better listen to him instead of me. But just five instances where you could go, whoa, the kingdom of this world is rough the kingdom of this world, their citizens treat each other horribly. Man, that is so deceptive. That is so wrong. What that situation needs is the glory of God. Could we do that this week? Just recognize His glory in creation. His glory to us personally. And then His glory in our everyday life or places where His glory could be be helpful in our everyday life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for This simple truth. We thank you for the promise of your presence. This isn't some laborious mountain we have to climb on our knees to get up to. This isn't some self-depreciating thing that takes hours upon hours of fasting to access. These resources are near to us because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And we thank you and praise you for it. Lord, would you help your people to recognize that this week? In a sense, would you help us at least to take that first part of fearing you, that would be acutely aware of your reality in our everyday life? Would you grow us in this? Would you help us? Would you use us that glory may dwell in the land? We ask these things in Christ's precious name. Amen.